Please do be seated as we turn to God's word. Would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 16? 2 Chronicles chapter 16. I'm going to be reading from the whole whole chapter. We're looking at King Asa's last years. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha king of Israel went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commander of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Gebar and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Egyptians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from the first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid on him a beer that had been filled with various kinds of spices, prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honour. Let's just pray as we come to look at this together this evening. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wisdom in your words. We thank you for the warnings that it gives us. And thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through it. These historic events that speak to us so much today, as much as, as back then, Lord, that you speak to us by your spirit through your word today. And Lord, as we come to look at this difficult and and rather tragic passage this evening, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us through it, that you'd challenge us, you'd encourage us, and that we'd learn from it, that we would not make these same mistakes ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we look at this this evening, I would like to talk about the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord that 
sees everything on the face of the earth. And the eyes of the Lord that sees all of his people and has devotion on his people. This passage that that reminds us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. And I, I believe these are words of comfort for us today. A reminder that God watches over us and he's willing to offer us strong support in our time of need. These are words of great comfort. But it's also a rebuke from Hananiah the seer to King Asa of Judah. It was a rebuke that that led this prophet into prison and led to a really poor ending to the reign of King Asa. And as we look at this this evening, I'd like to focus on the eyes of the Lord. What this verse itself tells us about the Lord himself, his providence, and how he cares for his people. There's so much for us in this this evening. But before we consider verse 9, let us briefly look at the life and the reign of King Asa and Judah. Because the the reign of King Asa of Judah is really quite astonishing when you see the turn of events in his life. This is a king who had reigned so well. He'd done so well up to that point. He had done what was good and what was right in the eyes of God. He'd taken away all the foreign um, idols and altars and, and he'd got rid of all of those things and he'd led Judah back to the Lord. There was a revival in the land at that time. He had led the nation of Judah back to prayer when the great Ethiopian army were, were threatening to attack. The Ethiopian army was a, a, a terrible force at that time and, and that King Asa brought the nation back to God, praying and asking God to help them. It's like when a crisis happens and everyone's just so scared and, and they start praying and wow, God answered the prayer miraculously. The, the, the Ethiopian army was overturned. They were defeated. And Asa and Judah saw an amazing uh, breakthrough, and an amazing provision of God's help. And King Asa, he also brought religious reforms in Judah and, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, and made a covenant that whoever would not seek the Lord would be put to death. Uh, this was a king who was serious about God. In fact, just to give you an idea of how serious King Asa was, he even removed his own mother from the court. That's some kind of commitment, but his, his mother had, had made a detestable image for Asherah, so he just cast her out of the court, and, and he threw it out to the, the, the idol and threw it into the, into the brook Kidron. And Asa did all of this because he was a faithful king. In fact, in 1 Kings, it says of him that the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. But things start to unravel when King Basha Basha of Israel went against Judah by putting up a blockade in Ramah. Basically, what was happening was in the northern kingdom, the larger northern kingdom, there were people who were wanting to go and worship in Judah. And so the king of Israel at that time, who was a godless king, all of them were up in the northern kingdom, he wanted to stop them from from going down into the southern kingdom of Judah and worshipping the revival that was happening there. And so King King Baasha, he he brought about this this, this plan to stop the people worshipping in Judah and wanted to oppose what was happening under King Asa's reign. It's important to remember this was not just a physical battle, this was spiritual This was a a godless, larger nation of of Israel that was wanting to stop at that time the people of God worshipping in the southern kingdom. And this is what makes King Asa's actions all the more disappointing. 
Again, he, he knew that God had delivered him before. Why not turn back to God and ask for help? Instead, what he, what he does is he, he has a better idea. It's always worrying when we think we've got a better idea than to ask God for help. I guess that maybe King Asa thought it wasn't such a serious problem this time. He thought, well, it's only the king of Israel. I can handle him. I wonder, what's the problem in your life where you think, it's not that big a problem. I can handle this. I don't really need to worry about that. The thing is, what King Asa didn't realize was that this was a really significant problem. That there was someone wanting to stop people from coming to worship him. This was a spiritual problem, and this was way above King Asa's pay grade. And you know, there's something that we never see God see in Scripture. Not once in Scripture will you hear God say, well done for using your initiative and not asking me. <laughs> you never hear God say that, do you? Well done, you know, King, uh, King Saul for, for making that sacrifice there because Samuel was running a bit late. Well done you, that was a really smart move. Or well done King David for, for going and counting all, all of your fighting men because, you know, just to make sure you're strong enough so you don't need my help. It all goes wrong for God's people when they don't bother to ask God for help. God never says, well done for not asking me. Well done for, for using initiative. The problem is that hum, as humans, we, we tend to do that with, with each other. We, we like people who are capable and self-sufficient, don't we? We're particularly at work, we, we, we get fed up when someone keeps asking for help. You just think, I've shown you three times how to do that. What's wrong with you? Get a grip. We, we, just, you know, we, we think it's incompetent. Be, you know, show more competence. Show more initiative. Or maybe that friend who keeps ringing up and you just think, well, this person's so needy. Why do they keep ringing me up? We, we, we generally, I think, I know I am, maybe I'm just talking about myself, but can be quite impatient with people. But God isn't like us. And, and that's what's so easy to forget. God wants us to be helpless. God wants, because we are helpless ultimately. God wants us to recognize that we are incompetent and needy and weak and helpless. And God wants us to come to him in prayer. And the tragic thing is that King Asa thought that he would go it alone and, and use his own initiative this time. And, and what he did was pretty shocking. He, he went and got the money out of the treasury, which is kind of like a pastor just sort of dipping his hand in, into, the, into the offering and just getting some money. He, he took money out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple in his, in his, own, in his own palace, went and struck a deal with King Hadad of, of Syria, and he was an enemy of the northern kingdom at that time. And so here's this kind of political game of chess that King Asa's thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just move that there, I'll do that, I'll keep him quiet, and, and, and that's worked nicely. That was a, a nice move on the chessboard. And in fairness, it was clever. It was a smart move. It, it was a political masterstroke, you might, you might argue. It worked. But more significantly, it showed a complete lack of trust in the Lord. And it brought God's displeasure on King Asa. And so as often is the way, when, when God is displeased, he sends a prophet to his, to his king. And in this case, the prophet Hanani bravely steps up, reminds Asa of God's faithfulness in the past. And he says to him, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You've done foolishly in this. That was a bad move, Asa. You will regret that. You made a big mistake. From now on, you're going to have wars. Who is it that keeps you from war? Who is it that protects you? Is it not God? Has he not already done that before? And so there's three things that I'd like to bring out of this verse this evening. It's firstly, the eyes of the Lord. 
The eyes of the Lord. Firstly, we see in the book of Job, God, when he reveals himself, I love this moment in the book of Job, if you're ever feeling pretty unhappy or just, just sort of overawed by things, just reading the divine speeches of Job just gives you a sense of perspective. When God challenges Job out the whirlwind, and he just asks him questions about the creation of the world, the, the universe, and, and the oceans, the weather, the, the cosmos, all the different animals on the earth, every single thing that's going on on the earth all at the same time, and asks him, do you know about all these different things? And God's explaining to, to Job, I didn't just create everything, I watch over it. I'm, I'm devoted to this, to this world. I'm devoted to my people. God is watching over everything simultaneously, and that's what just blows Job's mind. And he says, well, I should just put my hand over my mouth and not say any more. I said, too much. You clearly are sovereign over everything, and I've forgotten that. I think it's very hard for us as mere mortals to grasp. But, uh, and I'm sure at some point, in, in a moment of frustration, we've all said, I can't be in two places at once. You know, that actually happened to me literally this afternoon. I was enjoying the wonderful lunch and hospitality with, uh, with, with Hannah and Steve. And, and then I, I checked my phone. There's always missed calls on my phone. And, and my day job, it turns out that the alarm has gone off in the shop where I work in Oxford. And I'm supposed to go back to Oxford and sort that out. I'm thinking, I can't be in two places at once. I'm in Solihull right now. Am I going to get in trouble with the head office when I go back to work? And thankfully, my colleague was able to sort it out and was able to let me know, no, it's just the wind. So I'd be pretty annoyed if I drove all the way back, got to the store and found that everything was fine, although relieved. But there's that moment of panic. I can't be in two places of, at once. This is a crisis, a mini crisis. I need to be checking on the alarm in Oxford, but I can't because I'm here in Solihull. I can't be in two places at once. But God can. And we need to be reminded that God can be in two places at once. In fact, he's everywhere. He's omnipotent and omnipresent. He's all-powerful and boundless. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There's no place where God isn't. He's everywhere and he sees everything and nothing is hidden from him. In Hebrews it says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give account. And I want to say this evening, that is such good news. It's good news for two reasons. Firstly, that the wicked cannot hide from God and that the righteous do not need to be afraid. The wicked cannot hide, but at the same time, the righteous, we don't need to be afraid. Scripture reminds us time and again that the, the wicked will, will be dealt with justly. And one example that we see in Scripture is that of King Belshazzar who mocks God and yet God says to him through his prophet Daniel, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. That he was not let off. That we are held to account. That God sees everything. The Lord Jesus says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known. And come to light. That is a comfort that the wicked. They may get away with things up to a point. But God sees everything. God is going to hold everyone to account. But it also means that the righteous do not need to be afraid. This is such encouragement for us. With all that's going on in the world. And and who knows persecution may increase all the more in this nation. In Psalm 32, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
And the, and the Lord go, goes on in the psalm to say, I will, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I wonder if you've ever maybe had someone say to you, maybe, I don't know, maybe a medic or, or a teacher, maybe, you've, maybe you're concerned about your child at school or, or a medic looking after a, a loved one, and that person says, you don't worry, I'll keep an eye on them for you. The reassurance of knowing that person is going to be a guardian to your loved one. They're going to keep an eye on them. They're going to look out for them. And that's how it is with God. I'll keep an eye on you and I'll, I'll not stop keeping an eye on you. I'll watch over you always. And for the righteous person, the one who truly seeks God and who loves him, God continually watches us and cares for us. So the eyes of the Lord. But secondly, my second point is that the eyes of the Lord are active. The eyes of the Lord are active. They are not static. God is not merely passively observing events that are going on on the world, on the world and in the earth. He's not just kind of watching things or just wandering off and, and coming back. In fact, some people think that God kind of just wound up the, the, the world and just left it running and just wandered off. And scripture clearly says that's not the case. He's actively looking. His eyes run to and fro. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. He's scanning the whole earth. He's looking. He's actively engaged in what's going on, on the face of the earth. Not only is he watching, but he's interested. Did you know that God's interested in you this evening? Do you know that he cares about your problem and your situation? God is very interested in you. He's concerned for you. He's looking, watching, concerned for all who live on the earth, those who love him. The psalmist says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. God looks, but he's also looking for those who are looking for him, whose hearts are for him. He's actively seeking those who love him. Do you love the Lord this evening? Do you love him and seek after him? Is your desire for him? Do you, do you want to live a life that pleases him and glorifies him? And you know, God is the same God today as he was at the time of King Asa. His eyes that run throughout the whole earth. And what does he find? I wonder, what does God find when he looks Across our nation, what does God see? What does he find? How many faithful, committed Christians does God find in the nation? And I was just thinking about this recently, and it makes a very painful reading, but the average percentage of the population of the United Kingdom that, that, that actually attends church, they reckon is about 5%. Now, we obviously know that that doesn't necessarily mean that these are... Bible-believing Christians. We, we know that lots of people who aren't Christians go to church. So let's just say, what would the percentage of that be who are truly born-again believers? I wonder if that, that percentage isn't even 1% of the population. What a terrible thought. Well, let's just bring it more local here to Solihull. The population here in Solihull, I believe, is around, or it says it's around 220,000 people. How many Bible-believing Christians are there in Solihull? The great tragedy is that the vast majority of people on the earth are not seeking after God. And, and sadly, this often includes many who profess to be Christians. How many Christians are really committed to the Lord? How many of them seek after him? How many Christians regularly come to church and worship the Lord and have a heart and a hunger for him? Oh God, save us from lukewarmness in the church. 
The Lord Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And going back to our passage in 2 Chronicles, that is why King Asa's actions are so displeasing to God. And in asking King Ben-Hadad of Syria to break his treaty with the, the king of Israel, he's, he's acting like just any other pagan king. Just using political manipulation to take care of his own interests, rather than go to God for help. You know the thing about King Asa is he was too clever for his own good. And I think there's a certain kind of person that is, and, and there are people who are just so clever and so resourceful. And that's a blessing. God gives gifts, right? God gives gifts. God gives intellect. He gives intelligence. And he, he blesses people with all kinds of intellects and, and gifts. But there are some people who rely too much on their intellect. And, there, and, and all of us can rely on our strengths too much. And it's very easy to, to, to just pragmatically look at a situation and not think to pray. Because particularly if you're high capacity, you think, well, I can do this. I, I know what to do. Just like King Asa, I know how to sort this out. I can fix this myself. Rather than use godly wisdom and ask God for help. And, you know, this evening, I, I am not going to point the finger at King Asa. I'm not going to point the finger at him. Because I know I've been guilty of this. And to my shame, and I'm ashamed to say it, but earlier on in my ministry, I have lent on pragmatism. And when I was a younger minister and I just wanted to get people into church, you, you, know, you try and what things are going to get people into the church, and you try those things. And, and it's only as I've got more mature in my ministry and the faith that I've realized why the church is in such a mess. That pragmatism has, has, has destroyed faithful worship in the church. And it's often that, that, that well-meaning, I want to, to get people to church, I want people to hear, hear the gospel, but actually I'm not worshipping in a way that glorifies God. And, and I've been guilty of this. And so I understand that it's so often, even with the best will, we can do things, and yet they're not necessarily what God wants us to do. I mean, I, I remember being in a, in, a, in a large, kind of one of these big churches with a staff team and all that sort of stuff, and... And looking back, I kind of shudder. But I remember back then, there was, there was, there was a, a boardroom with a, this boardroom table. We'd all sit around this boardroom table and, and, and let's brainstorm what we're going to do. No prayer. No prayer. Just let's, let's just blue sky think what we're going to do for Easter or whatever it would be. And we'd all just come up with all these half-baked ideas and we'd put them all together. And the outcome was usually awful, to be fair. But, you know, we might pray at the end. Lord, we pray this will work. You know, it's kind of like rubber stamp it with prayer. But where's the prayer? Where's the, Lord, what do you want us to do? What is your will? What is your bidding? How do you want us to serve you? And this is where King Asa went wrong. This is where I'm not going to point the finger at him. I know I've made this mistake. But by the grace of God, Scripture warns us so we can learn from it. And we can forget that God also, in his providence, allows certain trials and problems to come into our lives at different points. Because he wants us to lean on him. He wants us to come to him in prayer. It's a test. God's often testing us to see how are you going to respond to this. Are you going to pray? I remember one of my closest friends said something to me I've never forgotten. He said, do you ever kind of, when you've got a problem uh, on a Monday, do you ever get to about Thursday and just wish you'd got God involved a lot earlier on in the week? I know I have. We bring it to God in prayer. We ask him to help us. And, and ask him being confident that he hears our prayer. He watches us and he's able to help us. Or will we be like King Asa who who thinks I can solve the problem myself. God is looking for those who are dependent on him and who will come to him with humility and ask him for help in their time of need. I love this quote by the Puritan Stephen Sharnock, one of my favorite Puritans. He says, God's providence is diligent, persistent and rigorous. 
The phrase run to and fro exemplifies diligence and care and industrious inspection into all things. His care is repeated and never-ending. He looks this way and that again. His eyes are never confined to one place or fixed on one object, but are always rolling from one place to another. God's care is repeated and never-ending. God never gets bored of helping us. Remember that this week when you're struggling. God never gets tired of helping you and coming to the aid of his people. Lastly, thirdly, God shows himself strong to those who are blameless. God shows himself strong to those who are blameless. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But the Hebrew word that's translated as loyal could be translated as blameless or whole. A person whose heart is wholly devoted to God. I wonder this evening, is your heart wholly devoted to God. God is looking to support and help those whose heart is wholly devoted to to him. That's because God's care engages his strength. God's care engages his strength. God is not only aware of the dangers that face his people, but he acts to prevent them. He has eyes that see the problem. And he has power to intervene at any point and avert the danger. He's wise to see and he's strong to save. The psalmist says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Maybe someone here needs to hear that this evening. That the eyes of the Lord are on you and his ear is open to your prayer this evening. Do you believe that to be true for yourself? And sadly we see that King Asa was too clever for his own good. His actions, whilst they were politically shrewd, were offensive to God. And he's rebuked by Hanani the seer. And he says, you're going to have wars from now on. What a tragic thing, though, to prevent God from intervening in that way. God, with his loving care, he's watching over over Judah. He wants to help them. He's ready to act and has it snatched away by King Asa. That's why God's so, so angry with him. I wanted to intervene. I wanted to help. And you snatched that away. King Asa would rather enlist the help of a pagan king and nation rather than ask the Lord to deliver him. And so this begs the question, you know, what makes King Asa and the nation of Judah, or what made the king, King Asa and the nation of Judah any different from the northern kingdom or any of the other pagan nations around them? And the answer, of course, is that they should have relied fully on the Lord. That tiny little nation of the two tribes in the south that had overcome the great Egyptian army, by God's help. And this is the turning point in Asa's reign. This is where everything just goes downhill from there. You see, by enlisting the help of a pagan king, this was a vote of no confidence in the Lord and a denial of the supernatural nature of the nation of Judah. This is what sets us apart as believers from the world. The Christian walks by faith and not by sight. It's very hard to do, and, and, but that's what we're called to, to walk by faith and not by sight. God, help us that we don't drift away from God and forget to pray and read scripture and be rooted in fellowship so that we start to think in a worldly way. And this is where it all goes so badly wrong. Do we allow God to lead us and guide us? Ask him for help and direction? Or do we just live our lives and not give God a second thought? 
So lastly, we kind of see as we come towards a close, we see how King Asa rejected the rebuke and he threw him into prison. It's quite often that some people, when, when they're rebuked, they, they don't want to hear the rebuke and, and their heart is hardened. You know, one of the things when, is when, when God rebukes us, I don't like being told things that I need to change. I don't like that godly rebuke. But there are times where we have to hear that rebuke. It's painful. But, but King Asa was too proud to hear it. And, and he threw the prophet into, into prison. And, and we read also in verse 12 that, that we find that he got diseased in his, in his feet. He was very sick. And then it says, but even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Something had gone very badly wrong in this once wonderful, faithful king. And we see that his heart was hardened. He wouldn't take the rebuke. And in the end, we see a, a very disappointing end to what was other, otherwise an admirable reign. I believe the warning is there for us this evening, not to let our hearts become hardened. A multitude of different things can happen to us and make our hearts harden. But as we see with King Asa, a hardened heart is not loyal to God. God is looking to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. As we close and we think about the gospel, the reality is that our hearts are not blameless towards God, are they? Our hearts are not loyal they're not blameless. In fact, really, all of us, in our own way, have done exactly what King Asa did. Because that's the nature of fallen humanity. The prophet Isaiah, who puts it so well in that famous verse, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We've all been sinful. We've all been rebellious. And that's why King Asa could go from the sublime to the ridiculous in his reign. And we're all exactly the same. But Isaiah goes on, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is the only person whose heart was completely loyal and faithful to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lived the perfect life, and then went to the cross to die as our place, as our substitute, that we could be forgiven. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1, Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is the good news of the gospel. In Christ, we are presented holy and blameless before God. But Paul also warns in that same passage, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I believe as I close, there is a warning for us this evening, not to be like King Asa, who did so well, who was such an admirable king, such a wonderful man, and yet just in that moment of hardness and, and foolishness, hardened his heart against God at the end of his reign. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. This evening, may we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we've heard and received into our hearts. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we tell you, Lord, that we are so sorry for the ways that we have in our lives not come to you and not trusted in you. Father, we're, we're sorry, and I'm sorry for the times, 
but I haven't come to you and asked you for help and tried to do things in my own strength. But Father, we do thank you, Lord, that your eyes look to offer strong support, that you care about us, every one of us. Lord, I pray for every single one of us here as we go about our week next week, as we go to our, our jobs and looking after our families and all the different things that we're involved with. Lord, I pray that we would remember to come to you when we need help. That we would rejoice in praying and asking you for help when we need it. To be excited to see the breakthrough in the, in the moment of need. And actually that our relationship with you, recognizing that our relationship with you is the most important thing. When we see that need in the moment, that we come to you with that need and see how you wonderfully deliver us. And so Father, we do worship and glorify you this evening. We, we have hearts that long for you in our lives. Would you use us and would we be pleasing to you in our lives this week and beyond? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.